recurve buck down, baby. Oh my gosh, that was freaking awesome. This is my first public land buck. It's my second set of the season. I hit him. Oh my gosh, I just heard him fall. I just heard him fall. Uh, I just shot my Kentucky buck. Welcome to Fueled by the Outdoors. We're your hosts, Rick Cates and Chris Leppert. What's up? And we are joined tonight by our third wheel, Josh Luck. Hey, how's it going, Josh? Good. How are you guys? Doing well. And we are joined by our very special guest tonight, Shane Simpson of Shane Simpson Hunting. Shane, how are you doing tonight? Tired. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm usually done had a nap by this time of day, and then I'm then I'm up late editing or something. But I didn't. I skipped my nap today, so I'm tired. But oh man, I'll make it through this. <laughs> <laughs> well, we appreciate you coming on and spending time with us tonight. Uh, we we've got a lot to cover, and we're really excited to to go over it because uh, when you know. Spring, spring is in the air. I, I feel it at least. It was warm down here today. I, I got like excited. Uh, people are sending me pictures of crappie. They're catching out of lakes and stuff. But the more important thing is I'm starting to see flocks of birds out in fields a little bit more than what I was in the dead of winter. So it's getting me really, really pumped for turkey hunting season. But not, we'll get into that here in a little bit. So uh, Shane, would you give us a little bit about your background? Um, where you're from, who you are, and how you grew up uh, and came into the outdoors. Okay, I'll try to make this as short as possible because it is a long story. But anyway, uh, born and raised in South Carolina. Um, my dad took me fishing and stuff, but uh, no one really took me hunting. We had some property in South Carolina, and, and you know, living out in the country, you're just out there exploring anyway. So hunting kind of was something that came natural, you know, something I had an interest, natural interest in. Uh, basically self-taught myself uh, how to turkey hunt, reading books and magazines and whatnot. Um, did that for a while, and then my parents lost their land, and I had to start hunting public land when I was in my, I guess, late teens, early teens, somewhere in that area, mid-teens, <laughs> when mm -hmm. I was old enough to start driving, or when I was old enough to drive, yes. So basically around that time period, 16 years old. Anyway, um, <clears throat> I bought my first camcorder when I was about 14 years old. I wanted to start documenting my hunts. And the inspiration came from my uncle who had a VHS camcorder that recorded our little league football teams uh, games when I was younger. So I, that kind of spurred me to want a camcorder. And I've been videoing my hunts ever since, ever since I was like 14 years old. And the natural progression is I started putting them on YouTube. And eventually I ended up moving to Minnesota. And uh, I've lived here for about 15 years now. And my YouTube channel has grown quite a bit. It includes turkey hunting, deer hunting, now some deer tracking with my dog. I know I'm, I'm breezing past a lot of details, but that's kind of the short, quickest route from South Carolina to here in my story, I can tell you. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Now, <clears throat> so growing up in South Carolina, um, I, so last year, uh, I took a family vacation to Charleston and, uh, you know, yeah, okay. I, 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 we're driving through there and I'm just staring at all these like palmetto areas and all the scrub brush. And all I can think about is, man, it would be just 
it must be awesome to go down there and just hunt birds in that kind of stuff. Is, is, it, is it what it's made out to be, or is it um, more of a kind of like a, a, a romancing the dream type thing, and it's harder than hell? Well, the area that I grew up in South Carolina was in the upstate uh, near Rock Hill, South Carolina. Charleston was just where I was born. <laughs> Um, cause my dad was in the Navy traveled around and, and that ended up being where we were stationed or he was stationed when I popped okay. out. Um, anyway, this, it was more, pl uh, pine plantations and stuff in the upstate where mm -hmm. I grew up and then, but there were some hardwood, you know, bottoms. That's where the turkeys hung out. When I was growing up, it wasn't that hard to hunt and kill turkeys. The population was thriving. I mean, there was, there was nothing to go out there on public land and hear 10 different birds gobble. Wow. The last time I hunted that particular track public land before they leased it out to a hunt club, I did not find a single turkey track in two or three days of hunting. So it had mm. dropped drastically. And, and, you know, that's how it is going on in the south, southeast uh, these days. The turkey population is in trouble, it seems like. Um, but, you know, back to your initial questions, it wasn't too tough. Now, one of the things that I read growing up, and it seemed to be, uh, true was the turkeys avoided the thick stuff and so we were looking for semi-open woods or stuff where a turkey could move through relatively easy if i couldn't see more than 30 yards in it then the turkey probably wasn't going to go into it and um so we avoided those areas and and it was hard to come by in those pine plantations because they would you know let them get overgrown with briars and, and mm -hmm. thickets and stuff and so um habitat was uh finding the right habitat was a struggle sometimes but once you found them, there was turkeys there. Okay, I, I've I've always always wondered that because you know, it it it's you you hear about and again turkey populations. I I feel like have just kind of taken a nosedive in the south in general, unfortunately, and you know it could be due to habitat, you know, or a number of other factors. But you always you know hear stories of guys going hunting South Carolina or Alabama or, you know, those, some of those Southern States and, you know, they were ripe for the picking with turkeys, but that was also, you know, early nineties and, and through that time where Turkey population seemed like they were just absolutely skyrocketed and, you know, until they hit a saturation point. Yeah. And you know, obviously they're doing all kinds of studies and research to try and figure out the, what the issue is, but I can take from, from experience the things that I've noticed that have changed at about the same time the population started going down was we started to see a lot more coyotes. Mm -hmm. Coyotes was something I didn't see when I first started turning in South Carolina. And and then coyote, the coyote population it just exploded. The other thing is because there's so many uh, planted pines and, and paper um, company operations with plant, they plant pines down there like they plant rows of corn up here in the Midwest. <laughs> and so the way they managed those forests, they used to go in there and they would, you know, do the first cut, second cut, final cut, or however they managed, you know, did the timber. And when it was all said and done, they would bulldoze it all, burn the pile of wood, you know, and then, and then they would plant new trees. Then they transitioned to basically when they cut the woods, they would just leave all the debris there, spray some weed killer or something, and then come through there and hire a bunch of people to walk over all these down dead trees and the litter that was left over from the harvest and plant pines. Turkey weren't going to go through no. that stuff. You know? 
And so that was, those are the two things I noticed that changed the most from the time when the turkeys were plentiful to the, um, to now. Now I'm sure there's other factors playing a role, but you know, habitat and predators, those two things, less of one and more of the other. And it can't, it can't spell a good ending for the turkeys. Do, no. you, do you feel like we could be that predator that's really roughing it up? And I do mean just hunting, not, not messing with <laughs> habitat or anything. Cause when you look at like an Alabama, a five bird limit. You yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the hunter's definitely taking a, uh, you know, making an impact, especially in places like when I was growing up, South Carolina was a five bird limit. And we didn't think anything about that. You know, that was, there was tons of turkeys. You, it just seemed like a, a never ending supply of them. Mm-hmm. You go out and kill three or four in a season. Next year, there's just as many there, you know, for hunting again. But then at some point they just it just bottom you know the, the bottom just dropped out. Um, I think some of these states are too slow to make changes. Um, Agreed. And and yep. and I th- also think there's a a lot of uh, poaching going on. Or I guess uh, yeah, that's the way you describe it, it's poaching. People taking more than what they're supposed to on their bag limit. They're you know not mm-hmm. tagging birds. Um, yeah, uh, that combina- combined with liberal bag limits <clears throat> and combined with uh, predators and habitat loss, it's just a recipe for disaster. I halfway wonder if um, I've had this conversation with a, a few of my turkey buddies. Um, baiting seems to be more and more popular nowadays. And I, I think I've heard it mentioned a few times about the corn molding up and creating issues for poults. But the other thing we're doing that I think a lot of people really don't think about, we're breeding super coons that, I mean, they're not the size that they used to be, man. They're huge. And they can go kill a hen turkey and then eat all the Yeah, I I wish people would just quit baiting altogether. You don't need it to kill a deer. And there's so many negatives that come with baiting. You know, the af- aflatoxins uh, or whatever it's called that uh, from the moldy corn that killed the mm-hmm. birds, not just turkeys, but other wildlife. <clears throat> you also make a uh, ambush site for, for the predators. Yes. Predators show up, mm-hmm. coyotes sitting there and wait, or a bobcat, bam, dead turkey. Uh, and, you know, and then the poults come there following the mother hen, and then they get into stuff, and they're – they have a weaker immune system. Um, you know, it's just there's nothing real good that can come from it. And up here, I know up here in the Midwest, uh, we don't have there's like in Wisconsin, there's baiting here and there, but there's so many ag fields that the baiting, you know, doesn't do a whole lot of good. The turkeys get the the regular spilt corn or whatever from the harvest. It's mm-hmm. not molded and everything. It's uh you know, safe for them to eat. And I don't know. It's, I, I don't see any real good positives with baiting. And and then the other thing is you're you're increasing the coon population. Every time I see someone post oh. that on social media, it's like, man, there's the coons are eating more of the corn than the deer are. You know what? Quit mm-hmm. putting corn out and you won't have any coons, you know? <laughs> yep. They're... The deer are goats. They don't need that corn. They can eat everything <laughs> in the woods, you know? Yeah, That's the I agree. Way. I used to be really big on the baiting, man, and uh, I agree. I mean, it's 
it hinders you more than it helps you more often than not. Every once in a while, you might get lucky, and you can co-kill does and young bucks and stuff off of it, right? But um, it just doesn't doesn't. I mean, it it helps deer pattern. Yeah, and look at all the money you'll save. <laughs> you know, oh my yeah. god! Oh, it's so expensive. I can't afford the money. What is it? Twelve fifty. Twelve fifty a bag now down here or something yeah. like that. Screw that. Something like that. That's expensive. Another thing, I, I wish trapping was as popular as what it used to be. Like, there's no incentive to trap anymore. And you get an abundance of coons and possums and all the yeah, egg eaters. Part of it, though, I don't know what it's like down in the south. I know south is, growing up, it was very uh, lax as far as requirements to hunt, you know, and, and everything. Up here is everything's got strict laws. I mean, like trapping. If I wanted to trap, I still couldn't trap up here because I live near the the Wisconsin border. Um, in order to trap in Minnesota, because I live in the metro area on the east side, I'd have to drive through the metro to get somewhere to where there's public land to, to make a you know a dent in the population. And you got to check your traps every day. You know, you're looking at an hour drive one way or whatever, and then another hour drive back. So it's really not feasible for me to do it in Minnesota. Wisconsin, where I do a lot of hunting because it's a few minute drive to where I need to hunt, they, they don't allow non residents to trap. So I, even if I wanted to really? trap, yeah, I can't trap. And so there's a state regulation right there that's impeding us from doing, you know, predator control. Now I could go over there and coyote hunt. But if I just wanted to trap coons and possums and stuff, I can't do that. Wow. And I, I guess it's it's probably an old law that came back to people coming in there and trapping and selling the hides and doing whatever, and they want to leave it for the residents. But at this point in the uh, in the game, I think they need to open it to everyone. I mean, trapping, Absolutely. trapping, in my opinion, should be free. <laughs> should be free and year round. Yeah, with you should, shouldn't even require a license. Um, well, it's, was, like, it's like down here. I mean, it's not trapping, but like they, they hand out bobcat tags. Like, you know, they said, you know, in Kentucky, they want them gone. I mean, they don't want them gone, but they want the population managed. You get a free one so you can sit in your deer stand. If you see a bobcat, you can pop it because they know they know that there's, you know, predator control that needs to be done on some level. Now, I wish they'd take that same opportunity with the coyote hunting here where you can actually use rifles at night and all that kind of fun stuff, but you know, we're, you know, lagging behind most of the U S and everything yeah. down here. So well, not that surprising. Be thankful <laughs> you're not up here. I think it's like they have to apply for a Bobcat tag and, and, and build preference points just to get one. To do. Yeah. Wow. Seriously. Yeah. Wow. What are your, That's insane. what are your thoughts on Bobcats affecting the Turkey population? Then you think pretty rough on them. Uh, well, I know they're very effective turkey killers. Let's put it that way. So it depends, on, I guess, on the population in your area. If there's a high pop, bobcat population, I can guarantee you they're killing a lot of turkeys. You know, there's, look at the videos that are out there, and that's that's only a small sample of what's actually going on out there. Sure. So you got to imagine there's a lot more. And then, I mean, like, you know, we have a cat here, and that thing is so quick at catching a mouse. It is lightning fast. I mean, I can't even have... I don't even have a chance to focus on the mouse running across the floor. We don't have any right now because it done killed them all. But I've seen them pop out before shortly after we bought this house. 
before my eyes could focus on it, that cat had figured out what it was and had pounced and grabbed it up and killed it. And I'm like, so imagine bobcats out in the wild. That's how effective they are. They are fast re reaction time. Most things don't even know what got them before, you know, it got them. <laughs> you, you know, one of the questions I got with regards to, uh, you know, another predator that's, you know, that doesn't, I don't think it get its due enough is with raptor recovery how much you know owls have you know take out birds sitting I on wish limbs I could kill in the middle some of owls. <laughs> I, I mean i yeah, mean they're, they're so man. they're so effective um and you know uh i think they're the what the number one killer of of hen hen turkeys uh sitting on limbs at night like they, yeah. they just they come through and you'll see a puff of feathers and then there's nothing there anymore yeah uh great horned owls i think are the number one killer of turkeys and then barred owls i'm yep. sure kill some um you know you're gonna this is where the animal people start crying about it if you even thought about maybe killing a few raptors you know every animal i think needs to be controlled to some degree and Absolutely. That is, and and i think ever since like ddt whatever it hurt the bald eagles and then the raptors are all protected they don't get <laughs> killed by anything but other than a car or right. some rogue yeah. hunter out there that wants to shoot one but um it would be nice if there was a way to manage um uh, raptor populations because i know there's a ton of owls around here there's a lot of a lot of great horned owls around here I don't, and i'm i'm not going down that road i guess i shouldn't go down that road because <laughs> i'm gonna get a lot of hate but i i still think they're you know they're probably not as big as a, a threat as some of these other predators but they definitely play a big role yeah sure absolutely, chris absolutely. And I, oh yeah chris and i had a hawk <laughs> Last last season, we had a hawk fly right overhead and smack a hen turkey right in front of us, like within and, twenty yards. And we didn't hear it. We're sitting there on our bellies. I was trying to sneak up on a gobbler, and he was going down the hill, and I was just trying to crest the hill to get up, get his head in in sight, right? And uh, we didn't end up closing the deal, so we're stuck on our bellies as hens are coming in front of us. And this hen, she was just. She was not leaving the area. I don't know if there was just a plethora of bugs or what was going on, but she was happy as clam. Anyway, all of a sudden, this hawk just appears like a B-1 bomber, like a stealth bomber, <laughs> and tags this hen. Feathers go everywhere, and he hit her so hard that he couldn't hang on. And that hen, <laughs> that hen was so excited and pissed. I hadn't heard turkey sounds like that before. It was like she was screaming hen cut curse words or something. It was hilarious. Um, and then, of course, Hawk, you know, has the OF look. But that was that's one of the craziest things I've ever seen. It was cool. Um, mm -hmm. And we, I think you had, like, barely caught the Hawk hitting the turkey or something. Um, if, yeah, I barely caught it on camera. If you'd have been filming, like if you'd have known about the hawk, that'd have been the coolest thing. But you know, now, I've got a, I've got a buddy up here that uh, that I haven't turkey hunted with in a while, but he was he was in one of the spots or one of the pieces of public I hunt occasionally. He's and we were talking one day. I was like, "How's your hunting going?" He said, "Oh, I went up to so and so place, and I was out there. And you do you believe this? A hawk swooped down and grabbed my turkey decoy, and 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 flew off with it and it's like really i said well i didn't see it fly fly off with it i heard it 
go ahead and it passed me. And when I look back over a moment later, the decoy was gone and he was gone too. So I just assume he, he dove down and got it. And, you know, it doesn't surprise me that they, you know, they attack um, turkeys and eat or try to predate turkeys anyway. Sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. My, my father-in-law had that happen. He had one on a plastic stake, said it hit it so hard that it busted the stake. Then of course took off it. He didn't lose his decoy though, but yeah. he had to get a new stake. This um, fellow was using one of those home decoys. It very easily could have picked it yeah. up. And, oh yeah. No, yeah. no effort at all. Um, you know what else doesn't get off credit though is the damn turkey vultures. Those things, they're basically just an ugly eagle, is all they are. They we, we don't have to deal with those too much up here. The the black vultures, there's a few of them up here. They might they don't live up here in the winter. Oh, dude, we've, we've got them thick here. Yeah, they migrate, and then they come back up here in the summer for a while, and then they migrate back south. They head back down y'all's way. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. <Yeah. laughs> yeah, they, they like to chill here quite a bit, man. They're they're rough on the uh, the calves. I was going to say, I know the, the, the farm ranchers and stuff have to deal with them. They, yep. They'll get the yeah. calves as soon as they're born and start eating the afterbirth and poking the eyes out of the calves and yeah. My uncle told me that, and I was like, Uncle Kenny, you're full of it, dude. And then, sure enough, we went out there when a few of them had dropped, and those things were everywhere, just waiting, circling, anything they could. It was, it was nuts. Um, Once they figure it out, they now they're an issue, they're a problem forever. Yes. Yeah, That's they are a problem forever. Um, so... I think it's safe to say that those poor things face just about every uphill battle between losing habitat. Now that's the other thing; they got to have a place to nest. If they don't have a good, solid place to nest, they're you know they're starting off rough as it as it gets, and then you know they, in a perfect world, a turkey's got a hell of an uphill battle. It's first year of life; they're rough, man. Food for everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so. So speaking of food for everything, with regards to it, we like to hunt these things a whole awful lot and food for us. So, Shane, we were wondering if you could kind of give us information with regards to how you prefer to hunt, tactics that you typically use when uh, you're pairing for hunter when you're out in the field. <laughs> um, I, just, I laugh because there's so many uh, variables or possibilities going through my head. Um <laughs> my stand, my stand. I just give you kind of my standard uh, practice. My standard practice is when I go somewhere new. Um, if depending on what time of the day I get there, uh, if it's you know middle of the day and I, I can hunt, I'm gonna dive into a couple spots, walk around, uh, maybe hit a couple calls as I'm walking, try to locate birds. Um, that's what I'm trying to do: is stay on the move and cover ground. If it's evening or morning, I'll probably try to get to a, uh, an advantageous spot for listening. And then, you know, I'll hoot, coyote howl. A fellow asked me the other day if I use turkey calls to locate birds on the limb. And, and that's certainly a pot call, something I do in the evening. If I can't get my coyote howl or owl hooter to work or to draw a gobble, I've cut at them with a pot call and got them to gobble on the limb. And I'm not worried about calling to them because they're already on the limb. They're not going to come flying to me. It's so late. Mm -hmm. um, so that's certainly something I do, but you know, that's, that's not my strategy when I, 
when I get to an area is that um, if I'm not roosting and I'm trying to cover them ground and locate them and hunt them that way. And plus I'm picking up knowledge about the terrain of that area, um, knowledge about um, how many tracks I'm seeing, what the likelihood of the population is. Does it look like it's a huntable, you know, worth sticking around for or moving to another area? And then I get to see the trees because I, I cyber scout a lot, but you never know what it's the, how big the trees are actually are when you get there, especially if I'm mm-hmm. going out west. And I'll give you a, a quick example. I went to South Dakota one time. I picked up a leftover tag for a particular county um, in the prairie <laughs> unit. And there was a good reason there were leftover tags because I got out there to the public, <laughs> which I thought looked pretty good on satellite images. But when I got there, the trees were so small, they weren't suitable for roosting and there, there were no turkeys there. Mm. And so I, I wasted half the day walking that I had to walk in there pretty deep to get to where I thought would be the best spots. And it was just cedars and small, small trees. And so that's another thing My you know, when I get to an area, I get to see firsthand what what the trees look like does it look like there's turkey maybe turkeys there um if not then i have time during the day hopefully i can head off to another area i know that i kind of went off on a little tangent there maybe not answered your question fully but um yeah uh, oh and so i guess uh let's talk more tactics let's say i did locate some you know i put them to bed when i get in the next morning i try to triangulate them if possible if i'm roosting like if i get one to gobble I'll move down the road or move off to one side of them. If I'm in the woods or something, two or 300 yards and get them to gobble again. And I'm looking at my map and I'm drawing a line in the direction. I don't care how far away they are. I'm just drawing a, a line mm-hmm. to infinity. And then I move off to one side, a few hundred yards and draw a line to infinity where those two intersect. That Turkey's roosted right there. Ooh, that's juicy. And, yeah. And I so, like that. <laughs> and so when, and that's a lot of people ask me, how, how do you, end up so accurate where you're fine that's how i'm doing it and and usually i'm within you know 30 or 40 yards of the tree they're in i know exactly which tree they're in <laughs> and, and some of it's man some of it's a process of elimination if you have your crosshairs on there and you think he's going to be in that general area where those two lines meet and there's only one big oak right there nearby that's 20 yards to the right he's probably in that big oak or there's a small stand of pines he's probably in that spot so uh and then i get in as tight as i can the next morning we can keep on going if you'd like. <laughs> keep going. Uh, I like that. That's a yeah. good tip. That's uh, qu- question for you, Shane. Back to your just cyber scouting, real quick. Yeah. When you're when you're going to a new area, when you're cyber scouting, what are you initially looking for an area where you think there might be turkeys? Is it habitat diversity? Is that like your number one thing you're looking for? Or? Well, I, mean, I guess uh, as long as I'm not restricted to a zone, you know, let's say in Iowa or, or Minnesota, Wisconsin, when they have zones, if I'm just free to choose an area to go like a state, mm-hmm. um, I don't know that if I'm necessarily picking an area that I think has the best population as I am places because of my schedule, I have like four days each week to hunt. I got to drive to these places. Sometimes I'm just looking for the closest area, you know, to my home. You know, if I'm going to Nebraska, I may be looking in northeast Nebraska instead of western Nebraska because it's a shorter drive. And and then I may look farther west because I get there and hunt day one here. Then I can middle of the day I can drive a few hours farther west and hunt here. Okay. Um, so a lot of it depends on where it is in relation to my drive time. But if I'm driving there and I'm gonna spend a, you know, I've got some vacation, I'm gonna spend some time there. I like 
I used to be uh, kind of picky about looking for uh, lots of small chunks where I could hop around and, and hit from the road, Owl Hood, Coyote How. And in the recent years, I'm more concentrating on large swaths of public that I can get out and cover ground. I can also cover ground around the perimeter and, and some of the access roads. I like to dive in there where I can walk and cover ground, especially if it's a place that gets some pressure because, um, you know, a lot of times those birds learn that pressure and they don't gobble very much in the morning. But nine or 10 o'clock mm -hmm. when you're leaning against a tree and your sun's you know, warm on you and the breeze is blowing and the birds are singing, all of a sudden a bird just hammers off on its own. You don't even have to make a sound. And so being able to get deep into these big swaths of public and cover ground, um, that's very appealing to me. So um, out-of-state trips sometimes, depending on how long I'm going to be there, I'm looking at those big chunks of public that that have what I think is good turkey habitat, you know, um, hardwoods, some creeks, got to have water, got to have food, food, cover, all those three things. Mm -hmm. I like it. Yeah, we like our, we like our big chunks of public. Chris and I, on the <clears> last <throat> day of season down here last year, we covered, I think, total miles was what, about 10 miles we walked yeah. us? Yeah. yeah. Was, I, don't, uh, I don't think I cover that many miles when I'm walking. I usually try to create like a three mile loop, like a mile and a half and then a mile and a half back out on a different route. Um, Cause I don't want to spend the entire day in the area, but I at least want to get deep enough in there where my set calls can cover ground and I can scout as I cover those loops. Yeah. We, we hit some, some old logging roads and just kept going. And then we found, you know, I think we were at seven miles there uh, in total. Um, and then there was a small piece across the road that ended up, you know, zigzagging us quite a good bit. We did another three there. <laughs> we were just trying to, it was the last day of the season. We were trying like hell to just cut a bird. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, I got you. And, and we, we had messed up. We had messed up early that morning because we, uh, we're trying to hurry up to an area and spook some off the roost. Yeah, got all yeah. and then yeah, and then it took forever to to try and find another one. I can't remember the last time that I spooked one off the roost, but it finally happened this year. I don't know. I'm, I'm sure I've had it happen in the past. I can't recall. But this year it happened to me, and I was so pissed off at myself. <laughs> I, I bumped two birds off the roost. And part of it was, it, I don't know, I shouldn't say it couldn't be helped. It could have, but the way the birds were roosted, it was right along a cliff, mm -hmm. and we had two routes to get up there. There was like 40, a little small chunk of public, and you're going to see this video coming up soon, but it's like private up on top and then like 40 yards of public and then the hillside. And I wanted to be up on top where it was flat, and I figured they were roosted pretty close to that. Well, it just so happened to be a cliff there. If we went to the left, we I was afraid we were going to run into the property line because I couldn't tell on the map where the cliff ended in relation to that property line. And I was like, I think the birds are over there. Let's go around the right side and look like it tapered up. up and sure enough, they were roosted on that side. And we walked, I mean, they were right above us, like 15 yards. Oh, <laughs> and, yeah. And there went one. And I was like, oh, dang it. And I said, well, don't worry. There's one more up here. And I took two steps and there went the other one. And I was like, 
<clears throat> oh well there goes that and this is this was no easy like park and walk in the woods this was 300 feet of elevation nearly vertical the whole way up <laughs> so i was sweating Ugh. and and you know, getting up there and for all that and then we had to make our way down this hill which was you know trees and limbs and deadfalls and loose stone so it was no easier going down as it was going up i mean so anyway it was a nightmare situation. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a place we hunt in eastern Ohio that can be pretty rough. Yeah. That I, I don't mind those rough spots because sometimes it keeps the other hunter. That's probably why there's a turkey there. It's kept the other yeah. hunters out there. That's, yeah. that's my number one tactic to not yeah. not seeing people. <laughs> if you're not yeah. if you're not bitching at yourself, then somebody else is probably going to be there too. Yeah. Oh man, what else you got, Rick? I mean, just uh, he, he we covered kind of tactics on and on like what to do when you first go out in the field. Um, you said you said in terms of like a gear dump, you don't uh, you don't carry a ton of gear. Can you can you kind of go over uh, you know calls, gear, gun, choice of ammo, all that kind of stuff, mm -hmm. and switch it up or you know what you used to use and what you use now even. Yeah, I used to carry a lot. I was, I was, I can tell you, I have my very first turkey vest still. And, and I was, you know, when I was, I was 17 when I bought my first vest and I wanted to fill every pocket with something, you know, I'm like, what could I put in this? Oh, a crow call. What can I put in this? And, oh, a scale to weigh my turkey. You don't need a scale out there to weigh your turkey in the woods, you know, but I wanted my vest. <laughs> I thought it was the coolest thing and I was going to fill it full of everything. And I wore a vest for most of my turkey life, turkey hunting life. And, and while I was filming and stuff, it became a burden, you know, to carry tripods and cameras and turkey vests and turkey gear and uh, decoys or whatever. And I finally said, you know what? Uh, the other thing was I was I had I was having more fun when I went minimalist, you know, no turkey decoys, <clears throat> um, just sitting beside a tree. I discovered, you know, everyone's looking for the perfect vest. I, I tried ones with the little kickstands, you know, big padded seats. And then I, there was a couple of times I hunted without a vest at all. I realized that it was much more comfy just to sit on God, my God given gift, which was my butt, you know, <laughs> and just, and, and that was the truth. I mean, I didn't have, you know, this big bulky item on me to sit on. I didn't have to reposition. I've discovered, maybe I've just gotten more, you know, more fat and my butt's bigger or something, <laughs> but it's it's more comfortable than a, a turkey seat. <clears throat> so anyway, it's it's kind of uh, transitioned over the years to less and less stuff. If I was going out in the woods right now to turkey hunt, and then minus the filming, the video gear, it's a mouth call or a couple of mouth calls. Just uh, got to have a backup, uh, a nice glass surface pot call, and striker. I carry usually one striker, sometimes two, um, an outer, and that's about it. What's the purpose I do of a pretty good pot. What's that? What's the purpose of pot call over just using your mouth calls? Um, believe it or not, there are days where it's a it's it's an effort to call very loudly, you know, especially climbing up and down these hills and you want to reach out there. You you get to the top of the hill and you're ready to make a call and you're trying to catch your breath. I can run a pot <laughs> call. Um, a mouth call, believe it or not, I'm actually holding you're not holding your breath. You're blowing air across the call, but you're not inhaling and exhaling as I'm running, especially if I'm doing a loud, long, loud sequence on a mouth call. I'm 
technically holding my breath the entire time. I'm exhaling, sure. so I'm not taking mm-hmm. oxygen. And so that becomes an effort, you know. Um, it's just easier to to run a pot call in some situations. Plus, they're, the glass surface ones scream. They're loud. They're ear piercing. It makes my ears ring sometimes if I, you know, got it and I'm really getting down on it. Um, and so I use that to reach out there and, and touch the birds a lot of times. It's not my go-to call. Once I've got a bird located, I'm with, you know, I'm set up to start working them. It's pretty much just a, a mouth call. Or I will try to sound like multiple hens and use the pot call in conjunction with the mouth call. Um, as far as locator calls, I got my owl hooter. Uh, I can do a coyote howl on the mouth call. Um, and I can do a fairly good natural voice crow. The the coyote howling on my turkey call was something it wasn't something I had tried to learn to do. It was a spur of the moment. Um, um, I'm trying to word this how it happened. Anyway, I'll, I'll go back. I was at a calling contest at Grand Nationals, and they were having a fun contest on Friday night there at, uh, in Nashville, a locator division. And you had to have three different locator calls. And I had a owl hooter. And I think I had a crow call. I'm like, what am I going to do for my third locator? And, and then they have a, a small list you choose from coyote, pileated woodpecker, and something else. I'm like, well, I don't have a pileated woodpecker call and I can't do that. And I was like, I don't have a coyote. Let me see if I can coyote howl on a mouth call. And I went in the back and I kind of came up with something and I competed with it. And I had a few people tell me it sounded pretty good. So then I started trying to refine it. And now it's turned out to be one of my top locating calls that I used in the spring woods. And so that's, that's the short story on how that came about, but <laughs> yeah, that's pretty. So those are the few, those are a few items I carry <laughs> nowadays. All right. I remember a question. Uh, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, you start first. You go ahead. I, I just remember watching, um, I want to say it was Aaron Warbritton. He was doing, I think it might've been like a screech owl call or something. Um, he's, he's doing the scream of a barred owl. Okay. okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So and you, have you never heard a barred owl scream? Oh, I've had it scare the living yeah, hell out of usually, me. I just didn't know which owl it was. Yeah, it's usually, they usually do it in the fall and winter during deer season. And that's, you don't, you, it, you don't typically yes. hear it in the spring. You're but, you're doing it, but it sounds terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly the way I describe it. It scared here's the a, hell out of me. Here's a quick little story for you about this the scream. <laughs> I knew what a scream of a barred owl was. Um, um, I learned what it was, and I was I was hunting up a place up here in Minnesota, and there was this. I don't know if it was because I walked out of the woods every evening in the dark, this certain route, but this barred owl would scream at me every night about the same location. It would scream <laughs> loud. You know, if you didn't know what it was, it would, it would scare you. I had a buddy with me. I took him hunting. He was, you know, he wasn't the, I guess he's a relatively newbie when it comes to hunting. And I took him back there and put him in a spot to deer hunt. And as we're walking out of the woods, I had my, camera ready i was ready to, to turn it on when we got to that spot and hit record because i was going to get audio of this owl scream right so we get close to the area and i turn my camera on and hit record and and we get past the area and nothing he didn't scream or it didn't scream so i put my my closed my camera up and i kept on walking we made it about 40 yards past that spot and that thing screamed and i'm scrambling to get my camera turned back on <laughs> my buddy 
it scared the mess out of him and he saw my panic he thought was panic he thought i was trying to find a gun a, a sidearm <laughs> and he was he was back there going what in the world is that what in the world is that and i'm like it's just an owl dude chill out why were you acting so panicky i was like i was trying to get my camera on you know and so if, no, if you've never heard a if you've never heard a barred owl scream there's i actually have an, uh, some audios of a barred owl scream on my website that people can go listen to uh, but imagine hearing that in the dark by yourself uh, in the deer woods as you're teasing out and and it doing it, you know, within 50 yards of you. It's loud and it'll it'll scare the mess out of you. Yeah. Yeah. Not not the most comforting thing no. here in the dark. Sounds woods. Like, it sounds like <laughs> a terror movie or something. If you don't know what it is, if you know what it is, it's yeah. nothing. It's no different. Hell, than it, a it gets me when I do know what it is. I'm, it, normally it happens when it's super quiet. You're trying to slip in or slip out. And they fire off, and I'm pretty sensitive to noise as it is. Yep. Uh, and oof. you know what the the scariest owl out there is, and I don't know which one it is. It's the one that goes, Ooh. <laughs> you know, sounds like a ghost. Yep, yep. <laughs> I re I remember when I was younger, and I was hunting some public in South Carolina. I was you know 18 years old or something like that. Um, I drove. 30 minutes away from the house. There was nothing out there. There was not even hardly any houses out there. I broke down one day and I spent an hour on the side of the road waiting for somebody to come um, give me some help. That's how remote it was. Jeez. And then I was two miles back in there and I'm walking out of the deer woods that evening and I hear, Ooh. I'm like, what in the world is that? It sounded like somebody trying to do a ghost sound, you know, <laughs> and uh, so I don't know what kind of owl that was. That's the one that scared me more than anything because it sounded spooky. <laughs> what kind right, of owl is that who, who knows oh i have no idea oh, I don't I've, heard know. I've heard i've heard it before i don't know i don't know what kind of owl it is <laughs> what was your question josh oh so mine was in terms of of calling shane <clears throat> when you're when you're out in the turkey woods are, are you an aggressive caller are you a guy that's less is more or is it all situational it's it's a little bit of situational and aggressive. I'm I lean more heavy on the on the on the aggressive side. Like when they're in the tree, I'm calling to them in the tree in the morning. You know, obviously I'm gonna uh, be kind of gentle with them. I'm gonna do some bubble clucks and some tree yelps. But as it gets daylight and lighter, I may ramp it up. You know, do some cutting even when they're still on the limb. Especially if I hear other hens, I want that gobbler concentrating on me. Mm -hmm. And if I hear other limbs or other hens on the limb that are talkative, if I can get them to talk to me, then I'm going to really just go back and forth with them. Um, but again, it's situational. There are times where like Garrett Prawl, my buddy Garrett Prawl and myself, we were hunting in Iowa one year and we got set up on this bird and I made like one series of soft yelps and that bird shut up and he didn't gobble again until he hit the ground. He gobbled once and he was gone. And that was, uh, I was like, well, that was a mistake. Next, the next day, I think we were roosting on a different bird and it had, he had me so shell shocked that I was afraid to make a peep, you know, and I finally did. And he gobbled back. I'm like, okay, we're in business. This bird responded to my yelp. Um, so there are situations where I will take it easy. If I sense something's got to tell me, I'm not going to go into every situation. You know, some hunters go, oh, I never talk to them when they're on the limb or I always talk to them on limb. I would mm -hmm. say that I 
call to them most of the time they're on the limb but there are situations where if, and i don't know off the top of my head a good situation where it's something would suggest to me all right let's take it a little easier a little be a little more careful um let's tone it back a little bit well i guess i could there was a hunt um last year that i was on the woods were just super open and so i was afraid he might see me so i i just made a few little soft things right before it got too light to let him know there was a hen up this way and then i just sat there stone still quiet and let him do the rest um it's th if it's thicker cover or if i'm far enough away they can't see me i'm not i'm not scared to get a little more aggressive that's like okay. talking to pretty much everybody who's good with a mouth call um a really good caller our buddy pierce is the same way i just think certain people have the ability to make certain sounds and then read <clears throat> a bird and say the right things at the right times and i i told people for years that it didn't matter how good of a caller you were and then i started hunting with our buddy pierce who i wish was a part of this right now um it's a very good caller uh he probably should get into competitions but he's i don't i don't think he thinks he's that good and he is well but you, uh, i tell you competition caller will make you a much better caller oh even yeah if you're, even if you, there's you know some people will say oh i don't need to be judged by a man i'd rather the turkeys judge me but don't maybe don't go in in there to to for that aspect go in there just to be a better caller because entering calling contests forces you to practice and work on the sound and your mm -hmm. technique mm -hmm. where if you just say oh i'm gonna just practice on my own you won't ever do it as a competition caller back when i was doing it fairly often and, and i still do it to the this day but but prior to that i didn't was carry a mouth call with me 24 7 you know every day of the week every day of the year i had them and I, and most days i would put it in my mouth and run some clucks and purrs or something basic at least um but competition calling made me focus on my calling i used to be able to just do a a, a rough rendition of a yelp and some sloppy cuts and from 2009 when i entered my first contest to about 2015 i have a video on my youtube channel somewhere or it's private i think now because <laughs> it's embarrassing but you could see a <laughs> dramatic increase in my ability to not only the types of calls i could do you know i did key keys clucks and purrs now and 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 decent yelps and cutting and then i was able to gobble but the quality of the sound more realistic it became very much more realistic as opposed to early on yeah and i tell you what whether that helps or not as far as convincing the turkeys um i don't know but my confidence goes sky high in the woods when you feel like you're actually communicating with them and you're not as afraid or reluctant to make calls because you're afraid you're going to mess up. Yep. And so that, that in itself is a big bonus. Yep. It's, mm -hmm. I will say just about every time I've hunted with Pierce, I've had a tag and he doesn't. And so he's back behind me, 60 yards, pitching calls every which way, scratching in the leaves and man, they get fired up big time. I mean, he's calling birds, you know, last couple of days of the season like it's opening day or something and it just it's a different experience altogether in my opinion I, I mean i'm not like a professional turkey hunter or anything but i started hunting them in 99 and every year is awesome and i learned something new and stuff but oh 
that that changes the game when you can when you can talk to them like that and move yeah, them a little bit. For sure. Um, so we've went over e-scouting. We've went over. We kind of briefly touched on everything so far. Not we haven't yeah. gone very deep into yeah. anything. No, no, no. Yeah. We haven't we haven't gone <laughs> super deep, and I don't I don't want to get real Bernie about it, but I, we won't talk about states. Do you have a favorite turkey species subspecies that you like hunt? Yeah, the eastern is my favorite in the timber. Um, that's I guess that would be my favorite subspecies. Just the the way they act, their thundering gobble especially in the timber. Um, the ones that are fun to hunt, you know, Western birds are fun to hunt. They gobble so much, you know, if you just want to have a fun, <laughs> if you just want to have a fun hunt. Now, with that said, sometimes they will make it a challenge. I, like uh, I have a video on my YouTube channel from last spring called uh, something about a chess match. Um, this bird, it wasn't that he was like uh, a, a veteran, public land gobbler, you know, it's seen it all, a pressured bird. This bird just had a hen with him and the hens were taking him in different places. And I kept having to move around using the terrain. And so it was kind of a chess match in that sense. So, I mean, you will run into that, but for the most part, when people ask me about Miriam's, you know, and Western birds, the time of the season, when would you go? I'm like, they, they gobble year round, man. <laughs> <They're>, <laughs> you know, don't worry about them not gobbling when you get out there. They're going to gobble. They're fun to hunt. I mean, and even if you don't kill one, you get to hear them gobble. Um, but as far as the actual challenge and 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 the whole experience, it's Easterns in the timber. I know that's a long answer for that. I should have just said Easterns in the no, timber. That's, <laughs> that's, that's a perfectly dictated answer. I really, really enjoyed yeah. that. Yeah. And, and then when you get to like, I, I always say Western birds are Rios and Miriams. I consider them kind of the same allure to me. Um, neither one of them tops the other. Um, Osceola's, they're just a skinny Eastern, you know, with a weird gobble, soft gobble. I don't too much care for the terrain in Florida uh, for hunting turkeys. It's fun. I mean, yeah. it's fun when you get in one of those uh, cypress heads, you know, in that swampy, that, um, what is it, the stuff hanging down? Uh, Spanish moss. Spanish moss. Yeah, yeah kudzu Spanish too. <laughs> Spanish, <laughs> the Spanish moss that's grown in the cypress heads and stuff. It's a, a very unique setting and it's pretty cool, but nothing, in my opinion, beats an eastern in the, in the, especially hill country timber. Like I've been, you see a lot of my videos. That's fun. Into the hill country, huh? Yeah. We've got a I just, I just like the suspense, you know, when they're in the woods, you can hear that drumming carrying or that gobble echoes a little more. And, and being in the timber, the aspect about the timber, like if you're in a field, you see the bird 200 yards away, there's no buildup or it's you know, sure. kind of anticlimactic. You know, they show up in front of you and you shoot it. In the woods, it's like, oh, it's getting closer. And your heart beats, you know, and then there, there may be like a little knoll here in front of you. Is he, he oh, he gobbled over here. I can hear him jumping back to the left. And then all of a sudden, a head, just a head pops up. And you're looking right here. And then you happen to notice the head that's been stared at you for, 10 seconds and then you're like oh i gotta move you know mm -hmm. everything can go wrong and that's what makes it so fun i agree mm -hmm. um yeah, I'm just, i feel like that go ahead i what? can't i can't hear a bird drum <laughs> i've never heard it in my life other than i played it in a video once because all these even with even with the earbuds on like the video i have on my youtube channel the sitting and drumming well, one, i mean like i that might have been the one that i watched but i had to turn all these little jack wagons kept talking about, oh, yeah, you couldn't hear him drumming. I'm like, 
don't know what the hell you're talking about. I've heard of drumming, but I have never heard drumming. And so I went and looked it up. So you don't hear grouse drumming in the woods either. That do 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 I've heard it on TV, but I've never heard it. Okay. We we had a bird this spring. I'm gonna just say. Yeah. Sorry. We sorry for your loss. It's rough. We had a bird this spring. We're pretty sure it's the bird Chris ended up killing in Kentucky. I was calling, and all of a sudden, just hear and like that just like that real distinct noise and he wasn't you weren't too far from me when when i heard it and he he's like he's like i don't hear the bird i'm like how can you not hear the bird it's it's spitting and drumming 50 yards from me he goes i can't hear birds spitting drum i'm like oh I man okay i can't hear the drum can't drum I'm going to get like a damn Walker's game here or something. <laughs> so so that means the gobble sounds flat to you also <clears throat> because the gobble, when you get close to a bird, you can hear a rumble, a deep rumble. And I'm sure it's the so, same mechanism that causes the drum when they gobble it like. There is, there has been a couple times in my life when I was, and I'm talking five yards or less from a gobbler and he gobbled and I heard that real deep vibration type sound in there and uh but no i yeah that a gobble to me just sounds like a scream i guess it doesn't really sound um deep and you know kind of yeah. literal it's, it's uh, two dimensional it's two dimensional not three dimensional yeah the gobbles yep huh <sighs> i'm gonna bummer man yeah I'm gonna that is i didn't know that about the gobble chris because I couldn't imagine all the turkeys that I would have killed if I could hear them drumming just over the lip, you know, just over the rise. Everybody else talks about that, and I'm just sitting here like, must be nice, dude. <laughs> but but my <laughs> hearing the other direction, off the charts. Uh, so you can probably hear a, a turkey gobble a mile or so away that someone else can't. I can totally hear higher. I can hear the energy change in the room, man. It's insane. But I cannot I cannot hear a damn gobbler, my favorite animal in the world. I can't hear it drumming 15 yards. I mean, I've had them less than 10 yards strutting in the decoys and never heard. And it's and it's not a it's not a simple fact of teaching yourself to to, to listen to it. It's the fact your ears aren't capable of hearing that sound yeah yeah because i because there's there's some people out there that can hear a drum they just don't realize it because they're not tuned to listen for that particular sound it's a low especially if they're far enough away it's a very low hum yep that's what i but, that's what i said to myself i was like all these guys keep talking about hearing them drum i'm gonna look it up i maybe i just don't know it's kind of like shed hunting if you haven't shed hunted before you know, it's tough to see them. And then all of a sudden, you know, morels, whatever, you start finding them and you know what they look like. Oh, I'll, I'll know what it sounds like and then I'll hear it. And I turned that on. I said, I have never heard anything close to that in my <laughs> life ever. So, yeah, we're going to. Don't feel, don't feel bad about this. The shed hunting. I suck shed hunting. Oh, I'm... I almost. I almost never find sheds and I'm out there so much in the woods in the spring or the, and I, I was asking a buddy about that. I said, whatever happened, whatever happens to all the, the big antlers, like when I go turkey hunting in Iowa. That's a big buck state. What happens to all those big antlers? Do the squirrels eat them all up between the thaw in February and, and, and April when I turkey hunt? 
some of those, <laughs> those antlers got to be 180 inches, some of them. How do, how do the squirrels eat them up that quick? Well, I'll tell you what happened to them, Shane. I walked right by them, and then one of my friends picked them up as I walked by them. <laughs> Every time we go out west, man. People. Your friends, you need friends. You need friends like uh, my friends. Like when we were uh, hunting in Wisconsin and I had my daughter with me, they saw a big shed up ahead and they like, they steered us so that Brooke would stumble <laughs> on the, on the shed. You need friends like that. <laughs> my, my friends just like to pick them up at my feet or let me walk two steps yeah. by them and be like, hey, you aren't going to pick up that shed? Yeah. <laughs> um, you did that in Nebraska this year. Yep, I can't help it, man. I'm the world's worst shed hunter, and I don't know if it gets any worse than me. Uh, Matt Amnine starts hunting year one, has this gorgeous drop time buck with just heavy, massive antlers. And the deer has antlers, comes on camera, has one antler, leaves for a little while, comes back, antlers are missing. Walks right over there and finds both antlers. And I'm like, dude, I I find sheds turkey hunting when I'm crawling and they're like right here, you know, belly crawling on a gobbler. And then I'm like, oh, a shed, it's under my hand. But <laughs> the ones I usually find are little, little spikes or just have the start of a brow coming and yep. you know, I don't find any big ones. Yeah. Someone told me that it was just because the shed hunters already got to them. I was like, Come on, they're not finding every single antler out here. Obviously, I got to yeah. stumble on something in all my travels through the woods, but I never do. I found my my first legit shed last year while shed hunting. I don't count turkey. Like, I'm going out postseason scouting and looking for a shed. I've done it and done it and done it. And like, I don't know. Heck, I can't even find my rails during turkey season, so it's, it's not just the sheds. It's anything. I guess... <laughs> I guess I have my focus somewhere else, I guess. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. Well, what else you got on your list there, Rickles? I was wondering, uh, Shane, what kind of what kind of gun you run, what kind of setup, shells, uh, you know, gauge, all that kind of stuff. Uh, well, I've been running a 12-gauge all my life, pretty much. Um, I do have a 20-gauge also, but <clears throat> for the last 10-plus years, I've been running a Mossberg 535. 12 gauge um, with an old Bushnell red dot. I'm, I'm converting it over this year. I'm, I haven't decided. I'm going to carry the 12 gauge with me, but I'm, I'm my initial thoughts right now is to actually put the 20 gauge to use. I bought a, a brand new Burris fast fire three red dot for it. And oh, it's just nice. been sitting in the gun case with that red dot all last year. The, the 12 gauge has been so good to me over the years, it's hard to put it away. But I did have a couple misses last year, and part of it was my my uh, absent-mindedness. I forgot to tighten some set screws on my red dot, and I guess recoil mm. as I shot more and more turkeys, it gradually knocked it off, and, and I missed one, a big paintbrush gobbler in Iowa. Um, but with that said, I guess, I guess it's time to give that gun a, a rest for a while. I'm shooting number nine TSS, um, three inch in both the 20 gauge and the 12 gauge. Obviously there's a little bit less pellets with the 20 gauge, but they're both, uh, I have a, uh, self, uh, what's the word? Not self-inflicted. Uh, my, my shooting, my shooting limit 
uh, I, I limit myself to about 40 yards or less. Okay. Um, and okay. so I don't even pattern my gun past 40 because <clears> I don't intend to shoot anything past 40 if I can help it. But my pattern is so good at 40, I know that if I misjudge by five yards, it's going to kill it. Um, both oh, the yeah. 20 and the 12 gauge with number nines. That's the beauty of number uh, TSS also. Uh, a lot of people get hung up on TSS as being a long range, you know, people, especially the people that don't use it. Are like, oh, I don't need that long range stuff. I'm not using it for long range. I'm using it for the pellet count. Um, yeah. I want, yeah. I, I don't want, because when I shot lead, there was always the shape of a turkey head void in there somewhere, you know? Amen to that. <laughs> and it always, yep. it always matched up where the turkey was standing when I shot him. Um, so I always like to fill every possible square inch with a pellet hole. Um, and my 20 and 12 gauge, the other, um, both shoot well. The other thing with TSS that's beautiful is um, you don't need a specialized aftermarket choke, a $100 choke. You can use a little factory choke, a very open choke. I'm shooting a, a 6.7.0 constriction out of my uh, 12 gauge. Okay. Uh, and, and that thing would probably kill 60 plus yards easy um, uh, just based on the 40 yard pattern. My 20 gauge, it has a little bit tighter than I want. I'm going to go through my chokes and if I have to um go to mossberg and order another one i will but I, i'll probably just throw in just the standard full choke it comes with it and see how that shoots it has a turkey choke in it now um there i go on a long story but basically i'm yeah i'm shooting a <coughs> factory chokes a 12 gauge simple 12 gauge pump uh and a 12 uh, 20 gauge pump with some red dots i need the red dots because my my vision is getting bad as i get older Man. and the use cheater, cheater glasses you, you know, you know what though? Um, I, I was, uh, Chris has been there with me. You know, I've missed birds plenty of times and I, <laughs> I actually, I had to have eye surgery after, after Turkey season one year because, um, my retina, uh, I got, I got a hole in, in the back of, uh, in the back of my eye and they said, did you take a blow to the head? And I said, I was Turkey. <laughs> I was like, I was Turkey hunting. And they're like, what, like, would it have like were you, were you shooting like shells that would have kicked hard? And I'm like, well, I mean, they're you know three and a half inch shells, and they're like, how many did you shoot this season? And I'm like, I don't know. And I started counting them up. I'm like, maybe six. And they're like, like you need to go get a go get your eye looked at. So that next year, maybe maybe that's what's wrong with my vision. I've shot too many turkey loads in my life. I I started running a red dot the year after that, and I mean the first bird that I shot. Uh, I thought I did. I thought the bird ran off because it just, it dropped. And I, and uh, mm -hmm. that was the first year I started using TSS. I'd never seen something, uh, you know, just completely like crumple at, you know, 35 yards. And I get up there and the bird's just laying there. So I, you know, do the normal, put your you know foot on it to make sure it's done. And the, the dang thing didn't move. So, you know, I, 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 that that the the red a, dot, a lifesaver, I feel like. Yeah. That seems to be a theme also with the higher pellet count of, the, um, of TSS. I don't have as much floppage in, uh, of gobblers when I shoot them. And if I do, it's for a, sh a very short time right after yep. I shoot them. You know, a lot of times they just thump to the ground. They wouldn't move if I didn't go over and pick them up by the neck. And then they just flap a, you know, a little bit and then they're done. Um, so mm -hmm. I'm sure that's... How do you explain that? Um... I've tried to tell people this. Well, here's here's what's weird. So I can't give you a a, a, a proven um, or reason or whatever. I just had to give you on what I've observed. 
whenever a turkey is in full strut, no matter what you shoot it with, it doesn't flop. If you shoot it when it's in full strut, when it's next yeah. curled. Yeah, every every turkey I've ever seen shoot, well, not every, but almost every that I would have video of or I shot while I was in strut, just said, boom, and hit the ground. And I think it's because their head and neck is condensed into one a tighter area. So you get more pellets across the entire head and neck. Whereas when they're stretched out head up and, you know, you're shooting them with some lead and you may get seven or eight pellets in there, there's still enough electrical signals going through their head and neck from the rain to make their body, you know, high around. It's like cutting a chicken's head off or something. So, I mean, um, I don't know how to explain it. And then with uh, TSS, even when they're standing there looking at you and you shoot, you're still putting so many head, pellets in the head and neck. I, I don't have a, uh, like a proven answer, but um, that's all I've observed. Uh, that's all I can say is what I've observed. Gobblers and strut. Uh, go back and watch some videos of hunts and pay attention. Next time you see one in strut and somebody smokes it and blows their fan tail fan apart, uh, that gobbler just falls and, and doesn't flop. <laughs> You could walk up and cut his head off and he'd flop for 10 minutes. Yeah, I know. Shoot him with TSS. And and I couldn't get over it. The first time I noticed it, but I, I kind of discounted it. Well, the next one I shot, which the first couple were with a 12 gauge with uh, sevens. So, and then, well, here's, said, the th here's the thing. If you cut a chicken or a turkey's head off, um, this is kind of a theory of mine. You, you just separated the brain that's controlling the signals, right? The brain controls that your arm moves, you know, and so you just remove that control. Now all electrical impulses are going erratic and it's just flopping all yeah. over. It. So, I mean, and so if you shoot it with a bunch of pellets, you've actually killed, but the, the control is still connected. Um, okay. I don't know. That may not make sense, but no, it does. It's, it's, hard, no, it does. it's hard to it say what, what, what goes on with and why they do what they do when they get shot with a bunch of pellets versus very few pellets. Yeah. Last year, she went with the BB gun and put it to the test. <laughs> <laughs> the, the bird that I killed last year that he was referring to that I couldn't hear drumming. Um, he was further out than I thought. I'm the world's worst yardage judge uh, as well. Um, he was 76 yards and that was with a 20 gauge. It was an open pasture field. And uh, I shot, he was at the top of the hill and I was at the bottom and I shot and he disappeared. And it was, you know, that kind of distance. I heard the impact, the shot, the sound of the shot was gone. And then I heard the impact and I was expecting to make a follow-up shot. And I ran up there looking around and didn't see a head. And I thought, no way that turkey ran that fast. I know I hit him. I looked over and he's got his wings cupped. He's laying on his back, not moving. And I thought, oh my God, with a 20 gauge, like that's crazy. And I, I knew it was, you know, I was guessing 55, 60 something, you know, I just had time to identify he was a gobbler. It's the one yeah. we've been after. And uh, I shot and then I range, got my range finder out when I was at the bird and ranged where I was and was like, oh, you're not going to believe this. It was a lot farther than I it yeah. Was. yeah but i had a i had a buddy kill one at 73 steps when i was younger and and ours was we both misjudged it we were we were sitting in a little ditch next to an edge of a field and so our, our eyeballs were level with the ground 
it was a cow pasture. Yep. And so it was mowed like a, a golf ring. Mm-hmm. And and it, there was a, every bit of a slight roll. And this gobbler came out, and he was coming to us, but it was getting close to, you know, sunset. And I guess he decided he wanted to turn around and go back to the woods on the other side. That's where he was going to go to roost. And I told him, I said, if you're going to kill that gobbler, you better kill him. He said, how far do you think he is? I said, I don't know, 45, 50 yards. <laughs> and when you're when you're close to the ground, you don't have any depth perception. No. You don't, you know, yeah. as you stand up, you have you know, that angle there. And so he shot and hit the ground and started flopping. I'm like, heck yeah. And we stood up. And as soon as I stood up, I, I got the depth and I said, Oh my goodness, that's a long ways, much farther than I thought it was. And he paced (laughs) it off and it was like 73 steps. And this was like copper plated lead or something from years ago. And I'm like, you, and we went over there and I could not find a pellet hole. I bet he hit it with probably one lucky pellet. You know, it only takes one. What's to say, (laughs) <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, I hate that saying, but um anyway, we I think we, I don't even recall if we ever found a pellet hole in that bird and he just got extremely lucky. Um which I don't mm-hmm. I don't recommend taking shots like that. That was just a, a pure um misjudgment on our part, young hunters and didn't know any better. Yeah, same. We're huge huge proponents of the TSS. For the same reason, you run into the same thing, like you said, every time you've got the guys that, you know, they don't want to shoot them past 25 or whatever, and, like, I don't need that long-range stuff. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. What are you shooting? Uh, long beards. So, you ever shot a turkey at 15 yards with a long beard? It's like shooting them with a deer slug. I'm like, that's a yeah. – you can miss real easy at close range. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, you've got a – very forgiving pattern. Yeah, my my twenty yard pattern in my gun is bigger than a basketball, and yes. then and then at and at forty yards, it's a twenty inch circle. I bet every pellet's inside a twenty inch circle. Yep. And so it's a it it's almost yeah. like it comes out and then stays consistent all the way yes. down the flight path. Whereas whereas exactly. other you know lead and everything else, it's you know you're missing left and right when and and here's the thing with my 20 gauge that I decided to switch over to this year and I'm going to sh- shoot it even a little more open constriction than I, that I have. I want my 40 yard pattern to be slightly bigger than it has been even on my 12 gauge. What are you going to go with? A f- you want to do a five, five, five? Uh, I'm not sure. I got to look into that. Okay. Uh, I'm not sure what's in it right now. I just know I want whatever my pattern is now. I want it a little more open, even okay. my 12 gauge because it looks nice at 40 yards. Everything's fitting inside of a 20 inch circle. But almost every turkey I shoot is 20 to 25 yards. And and I'd still want a little more wiggle room than a basketball. You know, I'm I, yeah. I suck that bad with filming and everything and my nerves. If people look at me and think I'm all I'm a calm and cool collective guy out there, honey. If you could be inside my mind uh, for a moment while I'm looking down the barrel, <laughs> it's it's a train wreck, you know. So it's, uh, you know, you're trying to operate a camera with one hand when you're self-filming and you're trying to get that red dot. That red dot's just doing this all over his neck and head. And I'm like, hold it still, Shane. Hold it still. <laughs> I feel that in my soul, man. <laughs> but that's, why we, that's why we do it, though, man. It's just, yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not, deer, deer don't make me feel like turkeys do. And I, I get excited. Don't get me wrong. But it's just different because yeah, every turkey, it could be two-inch bird turkey or barely a two-year-old late hatch turkey and if he's screaming i am jacked out of my mind last year i had two gobblers i was working on opening day and i'm self-filming sitting there and here he came 
and I'm looking, I'm like, man, he is on film. This looks gorgeous. And all of a sudden something said, you, he got to 12 steps. I said, and the decoys were at like five. I wanted them up close and personal, but then I made myself nervous. I was like, you better shoot this damn turkey before he boogers. And then you've got nothing, you know, you've got a opening day, you know, off the roost bird right in front of you. Just shoot the thing and don't, don't get cute. I made myself nervous and I shot the bird. Don't get me wrong, but I can relate to freaking out a little bit. Oh yeah. Yeah. you split. You said something about the deer. I wish my suit, shooting skills on deer matched, or I, I wish, I wish I was able to put my shooting skills that I do on deer onto turkeys because I almost always heart shoot deer, um, and and I rarely. I mean, I get nervous when they're in front of me, but I don't. I don't think it, I get near as nervous when there's a gobbler at you know fifteen or twenty yards and I'm getting ready to pull that trigger. Um, yeah, and I think part of it has to do with all the misses I've had over the years. It seems like I have at least one miss a year. And and that's always in the back of my mind. That's probably why I continue to miss because I'm too busy thinking about that miss. Hopefully this is not the one. And then boom. And, and there, <laughs> where'd he go? I'm like, up oh, there it was. That was my miss. And then the had two of them had a couple of them last year that, <laughs> that, Oh, I don't even want to think about it. Oh, it's, it gets rough, man. Yeah, it sucks. <laughs> well, what are your um, what are some what are your plans this year? What are you, what are you hitting? If you don't mind, yeah, I can tell you. I mean, uh, this year is going to be very scaled back, and there's a couple reasons for that. Um, I have some projects here at home, uh, remodeling projects. I'm working on the back. The bathroom remodel wasn't planned. We had a toilet leak, and then I discovered the floor was mm-hmm. ruined and. And then we had some mold and shower. And so anyway, I tore that whole bathroom apart. Um, I have a side project that I'm working on that's requiring some extra funds. So I'm scaling back my turkey uh, trips this year to save those funds for this other big project that will be announced at some point in the future. I can't go into detail about it. Um, So I'm sticking to the Midwest this year. I'm not making any big trips down south. I'm just going to hunt Nebraska, South Dakota, Iowa, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan, those states. I'm not doing Mississippi or Florida. Or I was hoping to go to Ohio this year. I heard there was going to be, uh, a, well, from what I've seen, I've heard that there was a good hatch a couple of years ago. So the vert two-year-olds mm-hmm. should be running left and right everywhere around Ohio this year. I'm deleting this from the Yes, yeah, so I was getting ready to say, probably just <laughs> shut up. No, I'm just kidding. You know, I, you know, I tell people. until after turkey season. <laughs> right. I, I, I tell people all the time, Ohio sucks to hunt turkeys. It is a rough state, but we've had two solid years, and they scaled us back to one bird, which I believe. I tell you what, one bird states are my favorite to hunt. Oh, uh, Iowa, uh, Minnesota. Are, are two uh, one bird states and the the hunting in both mm-hmm. is phenomenal uh wisconsin, oh. wisconsin the hunting there's still pretty good it's not a one bird state um indiana you know, yeah mean, i've never been to indiana but i've heard it's really good there uh illinois is a one bird state correct no it's uh you can get leftover permits mm-hmm. okay yeah, you can get multiple birds there but for the most part it's a one bird state most people in yeah. illinois are killing one bird Michigan. I mean, every every single Michigan. Of, yeah, Michigan. That's what I was thinking of. That is a phenomenal state. Yeah, every that's, single state I've ever been to that's a one bird state. See turkeys everywhere. 
Yep. If, if Michigan, you asked me early on about my favorite subspecies, if I had to pick a state, if Michigan had more hills in it, it would be my number one state. There's, it's, it's fun to hunt there, but it's just flat as a pancake uh, most of the area. Gotcha. Um, I'm sure there's some areas in Michigan that have some hills, but Michigan overall is a pretty flat state. And <clears throat> for my type of strategy of hunting, I like having terrain to use as cover to move instead of bushes as cover. You know? Yes. <laughs> I'd rather have a, a dirt leaves. embankment. Yeah. Hope we got some leaves or a river or a creek somewhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> some of the places I hunted in Indiana, I, you know, I saw gobblers and stuff and I thought, man, until the leaves came on, I don't know what the hell I'd, I'd do. Honestly, they, they could see you for forever. Um, but even in the hill country, like in, uh, in some of these, like Iowa and Minnesota and Wisconsin, some of that hill country in the early season, it's so devoid, you know, of leaves that you can see from one hillside to the other. You could, the turkey would see you walking on it. And I, I feel so exposed in those areas. Um, and that's a part of the reason I wait until later in the season to hunt those states. I, I usually save april and the, the first week of may for nebraska and south dakota it's going to be cold either where you know either place i go so i might as well you know suffer out there out west where it's open it's open sure. terrain either way you know mm -hmm. yeah man god i can earn out on this for days but we've kept you over an hour so we kind of yeah, and you know, I, at the beginning, I said I was tired. I'm not quite as tired anymore now. We've been talking turkey hunting, but oh, dude, I I, I made a post. <laughs> I took a little picture of us and made a post, and all the same people that I talked to all year long commented on it. They're all my turkey people, man. Nobody else, nobody else <laughs> cares because they don't care about turkeys, right? They'll, they'll yeah. go sit in a blind and and shoot one or whatever, and on a, a farm somewhere and i i can do that too if that's what i have but man they're just something about you know who bring you speaking of that sitting in a blind I, every we mentioned that i thought of dan infall and yeah and because he is the the deer uh, the beast or whatever you call it uh serial killer uh big buck serial killer the hunting beast <laughs> yeah. and i always wonder why he doesn't take that beast mode to other uh game animals like when right. if, I, if I'm turkey hunting, you know, I, I try to use the same strategies when I'm deer hunting. I maneuver um, and strategize with Dan. He he's you know doing that with deer. But when it comes to turkey, he just pops in a blind. It seems almost time has a coffee and and maybe it's not as important to him, you know. And yeah. which I think a lot of people appear it's like that. They just something to pass the time. But I sure. sure. Would, but Dan, if you're listening to this podcast, I sure would like for you to go beast mode on some gobblers a couple of times. <laughs> I'm sending this yeah. to him now. Be like, there's a special special message in here for you, man. Um, yeah, it is. It is interesting uh, how people won't really, you know. And I guess you got to have the property too. And I think I hunted in a blind for years because I had private land and we had an open ag field didn't have permission to go into the woods. And if you did, you had yeah. you know, 10 acres or 15 acres of woods. So you're better off really to just chill there and, you know, let them let the decoys do the work or whatever. But um, now you, you, this is before I discovered public land though. Now you, you couldn't, I'd do it. 
Yeah, I, I used to take my daughter out. We'd sit in a blind, and I was so thankful because I don't like hunting a lot. I feel so uh, trapped there. I can't see. I can't feel yeah. the breeze. I can't. It's just the whole experience for me doesn't isn't isn't as nice. And I took my daughter hunting a couple times in the blind. She finally, one day, she said, "Can I sit against a tree like you do?" And I said, "Heck yes, let's go do that." <laughs> Because I, I I just thought she didn't wouldn't enjoy it, but she's you know ever since then she cannot stand it. The thing for a blind for her is she could not see out the windows because she was you know teeny, and mm. so she was yeah. constantly craning her neck trying to see here and there. And I was telling her to be still, and so it was just a bad experience for her. And she loved being outside the blind. I think most people should at least if they have they have kids hunting with them, at least let them experience that once and say, hey, would you prefer to do this? Instead of forcing them to sit in the blind all the time, I think they would enjoy it more. I agree a hundred percent. Do you shoot? Uh, you shoot Apex? Yep. Yep. Apex. The, the three inch okay. number nines. Three inch number. Nine. I don't. I don't get too fancy with my shells. Just some. I've tried blends in the past. Those are okay. I don't know. I just. I, I'm no. I'm no expert when it comes to these things. I just shoot what I what looks like it works pretty good, and I continue using it. I've had decent luck with a nine and a half, ten blend out of a four ten, but yeah, I think that's when it probably matters more, in my opinion. Yeah, anyway. that, now with uh, Brooks four ten, my daughter's four ten, we did experiment with different shot sizes because we did get a little bit better pattern because it's such a small uh, calib caliber. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so, like the number, I think the number nine nines. And then nine and a half. So I think nine did better. I had to go look what I got down there, and we patterned it with both, and one outperformed the other at 30 yards. And that's what I was trying to get her a good pattern, 30 yards in the end, uh, so that she wasn't limited to these. You know, a kid sitting against a tree with her dad, you don't want her limited to a 15 yard shot. That's going to be hard to pull no. off. <laughs> no. Yeah. Man, anymore now, I think, I think it was, yeah, it was the 410 that I did the video on. And, that was a 60 yard gun all day long. Insane. Mm. Um, couldn't believe it. 40 yards wasn't even like a thought. 50, 60 started it. Like you could kill them at 60, but I don't really want to. But man, 40 and in, you'd, you'd hammer them. Yeah. But, well, dude, we're going to have to do this again. Um, tell me, uh, this is probably going to be a little tougher for you, but what was your favorite thing? you learned last season, whether it be deer or turkeys. Tip you picked up, something you saw in nature, something that you learned that helped make you a little better hunter, perhaps. Mm. Well, that's going to be a tough one. I, yeah. I, I can't. Yeah, I've, I've, we get it done with this podcast, and I'll probably remember something that's <laughs> struck with me. Um, you know, there's there wasn't a whole lot. It was just, a whole lot of fun hunts but nothing that said hey shane maybe you should start doing this more often or, or this um I, it seems like there's something with in my mind that i want to mention um i don't know I, I just, I, nothing stands out there's a lot of good hunts he already knows everything no. i had the podcast kid <laughs> that's the problem no that's that's the problem i did not learn anything last year that, that that's the bad thing <laughs> Nah, you're not I'm gaining you're not gaining knowledge each season if you don't learn something. I agree. I agree a hundred percent. Well, Rick, you wanna you wanna take us home? 
Yeah, sure. Uh, this oh, is um, oh, hold on. Oh, so, Josh wants to interrupt sorry. me now. I'm, I'm interrupting. Is he going to sing when he takes us home? Is, it, is that that's how you close it out? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Shane, for those that don't know, can you plug all of your stuff where, where people can find you, your YouTube, your website, all that? Um, yes, shanesimpsonhoney.com. That's where you can find my website and it has uh, videos and stuff on there. My, the biggest, I guess, thing for people to go to is my YouTube channel, Shane Simpson Honey on YouTube. And if you want to see some interesting videos, some of it's funny, some of it's not on TikTok. I'm on, I'm on that communist channel. <laughs> um, they're still in all our information, but anyway, they're getting a lot of good turkey content, I think. Um, and some of it's funny. But um, yeah, that's, I do Facebook and, and Instagram. Um, I don't do it as much as I used to. Facebook's kind of getting boring for me. Uh, it's the same old, same old every day. So if you just want to watch some good um or I shouldn't say good content. <laughs> if you want to watch some content, <laughs> I think it's I think it's okay. Um, I think it's on it's YouTube. Good. I've been watching I mean, some of your recent turkey hunts in there. Yeah. Well, I, when I say watch. good, I was comparing I was comparing it to what's on social media and, and YouTube. You know, YouTube hunting related is better than what's on there. So. <laughs> so. <laughs> I uh, I have a notification on your website. To be noted, I want to be notified when these who calls. Oh, did you click that? You and two hundred others. Two hundred people. There's at least I um I did I forgot that was an an update to my web store that you can click the button and be notified when it's back in stock. So as soon as I go in there and mark in stock, it sends an email out to everyone that clicked that button. And I guarantee I've got two hundred in the last two weeks notifications. That is that is a hot commodity right now. That Osage. Now the the walnuts and the synthetics are I'm selling them left and right every day. Um so and it's only gonna get worse as the sales will peak in March. And so we're just at the tip of the iceberg and we can't keep up. That that owl hooter is uh selling better than it's ever sold before. And I don't know why, but uh, I just think it's getting more exposure and um, yeah. you know. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure my TikTok videos aren't aren't uh, hurting any uh, in that regard because I get <laughs> 20 questions a day on any video where I hoot once and get a turkey gobble. Hey, what owl hooters? What owl hooter is that? Even someone, oh, yeah. somebody made the comment said, "Shane, how, are you tired of people asking you that?" That you know, I'm like, "Nah, they can keep asking. I'll ask. I'll answer a couple of them. And if you ask again, just look in the comments. If you don't see my, uh, you know." If I don't answer right. yours, just look through it. It'll be in the comments somewhere. Yeah. How uh how many cars have you been able to buy off of that baby turkey video that you posted? It's got like a hundred trillion views. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that video probably made like 80 bucks because it's only like <laughs> it's only like 30 seconds long. Yeah. So man, that's phenomenal. I love it's amazing. I tell you what, there's a new video I'm gonna be posting. I'm glad you reminded me. I have I have uh footage and this the footage is great it's like 8k shot with my new samsung um but i was i had just gotten the phone and and i didn't realize to turn the mic it has one forward and one backwards so it was facing back at me there was a flock of turkeys with poults you know the poults were maybe a month old and i had a cd with some turkey audio and i played it and that whole flock gobbled 
Colts, hens, and all, right in front of me, tw- 15 yards. They gobbled wow. three three times, all of them in unison. And wow. and I'm a you can hear them gobbling it, but it's not as loud as. Um, and these were wild turkeys. Now they were in the metro area here, so they're used to traffic and stuff. They won't let you walk up to them, but they're not, you know, tame turkeys by any sense. And so right. these were these were, I think it was three hens and almost 20 poults uh wow. some poults and every single one of them and then some of them started strutting some of the one of the hens started strutting and one of the poults started strutting a couple of the poults and when i played that you know the the it's a mike batty's cd uh, uh wild talker okay and it comes on with the little music at the beginning down little uh it sounds like a little blues music and then it has a gobbler <laughs> spitting and drumming and then a turkey cackles and it builds up and all the turkeys perked up and then when that Hen said, yeah, 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 yeah. They all, oh. So anyway, that's, that'll be going on my channel eventually. And it'll, and it'll get, it'll be five or six minutes long. So <laughs> maybe it'll make, maybe nice. it'll make me $80,000 instead of $80. There you go. There you go. Well, if you like that, you're going to definitely like the intro to this podcast. We just redid it for turkey season and she's lovely. You, oh. You'll enjoy it. Is, is so am i on the debut of the first episode of the new music new intro um or do i get sloppy seconds or what uh i think you're gonna be like third i want to say uh, we've got that's even worse we, <laughs> or, yeah somewhere around there i can't remember did we drop jacob emery's okay no we haven't we haven't done jacob emery's by the time this okay. one comes out uh who, who was the first one latitude latitude yeah. yeah yeah we did a podcast with latitude outdoors and then our archery one with cam this week so yep. um yeah are you you guys are going to nashville to a convention i wish i could say that we were no. when it when is that i think it's this uh this coming week so it's coming week yeah wednesday thir- yeah. thursday kicks off um yeah i'm not no, i'm not uh, going this year i went last year and I wasn't even going to go last year, and I just when it got close, I was like, oh, I can't take it anymore. I got to go, and we 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 didn't have any room, so we ended up paying a higher rate for a room um, than we should have. And then this year, because of the all the, the side project and my house remodel stuff I got going on, it sucks because I'd love to go down there, but yeah, it's a ton of fun. If you can yeah. go, make mm-hmm. sure you go. I don't know this this won't be out in time for people to hear. Yeah, it'll be after. It'll be after Nashville. Be right after that. Yeah, yeah, it'll be right after. We've got some work to do in another town in Tennessee, man. We've got a lot, lot on our plate right now, but to to prep for before turkey season gets here. So we're gonna we're gonna try to knock that out as much as we can, and then head on into the turkeys and crappie and live life to its fullest. Yeah, I'm. I'm. You know, I'm looking forward to deer hunting has gotten gotten into me a little more than it has in years past same when, when the and, but i think it's because i'm hunting nebraska and north dakota those early seasons because i started tracking with my dog uh, um mm-hmm. i started okay. going to i started going out of state in order to get some deer hunting time in because once i start deer season opens here I'm, i hardly get to hunt i hunted, hunted like three days the entire season last year for myself oh wow gosh yeah i mean well, that was after Nebraska. Now, Nebraska, I was out there five days, but then three days here at home. And so I was like, oh, I didn't get enough hunting. 
And so now I'm looking forward to those uh, trips out there in the fall. So while you're out fishing after turkey season, my <laughs> first my first trip is going out to Nebraska to scout. Really? Yeah, I'll be out there. I'm planning on going out there two or three times this summer to to glass and to walk around and and find buck beds and you name it. Nice. I know you're a bed guy as well, aren't you? I remember watching you do a uh, a video. I want to say it was either in Minnesota or Wisconsin. You were around. Yeah, there's a reason for that because i suck so bad at deer hunting i don't know i'm trying something new <laughs> i can't figure out how to kill bucks you know or, or deer in general i just my strategy in my whole life was find a bunch a bunch of trails that intersect and sit over top of them and i killed doe after doe after doe and small buck here and there growing up but now i'm trying to target deer and and that worked out kind of well for me last year in Nebraska. I had two bucks that were probably 150, 160 coming right to me on a string. I actually walked within bow range, like 25 yards of me. But it was end of legal like. I had to hang my bow up and turn the night vision on. And and uh, it, the plan worked perfectly. If they had just, if the two hadn't been together, because the two kept, screwing around with each other so much on the way to me they'd stop and kind of spar a little bit and then they'd come and they'd spar i'm like quit messing around and get over here you know <laughs> <laughs> and just let me shoot you yes guys. quit screwing around um <laughs> so i mean that was really fun to, to put it to the test and and you know my strategy and theorize what could happen and it actually almost happened um i, I knew one of the big bucks was in there because i'd seen him like the day before um, and he was bedded in the same general area, but with a buddy. Anyway, oh, man. So it's deer hunting's kind of lighting a fire in me that uh, it hasn't in the past. So I, I got a couple passions now: the deer, spring turkey, and now deer hunting. Early, early season deer hunting. Early deer season. Yeah, yeah. Um, the yeah. the rut. I have, I've had some fun during the rut here and there. I've never really shot a big or anything. Like, well, sorry, I shot that one with the. The target stuck in his antlers that was during the yep. run um i just don't like the cold though so i'm a um, warm weather guy i'm <laughs> starting to get there with you a little bit i i can do the cold and I, I i won't say i don't like it but can't beat a good 65 to 75 degree day uh i no, hate that's it. not cold that's yeah. that's warm i'm talking yeah. about when no, it's like no, 15 no, degrees out there and you're sitting in the stand all day and it's 15 or 20 degrees i don't like uh. that yeah, we don't have that in Southern Ohio very, very often. Uh, we, if we have times like that, they are really killable. <laughs> they, they can't handle that here. Um, yeah, the thin coats down there, huh? Oh yeah, we or thinner coats. Yeah, thinner. Um, it's it's interesting here. For the most part, in November, you're looking at 50, 55 for a high. Um, we we don't have that you know 20 degree high stuff and 30 degree like that's that's late that's late november for us usually november is um i'm trying to think the one day i did an all day sit it got into the 20s that day it would have been nicer had i had i not positioned my stand on the it was in hill country and so i was up near this hill where the sun was so i was in the shade for almost the entire day I was like, man, I should. And I was looking across the valley at that hillside. I'm like, man, it would be so nice to be sitting over there in that bright sun, just soaking it up instead of over here in the shade, shivering. <laughs> um, 
what what was your temp today today it actually got warm it was 40 degrees i was yeah. almost in short sleeves out there today it was we nice had, we had 62 here in yeah it's amazing it's amazing if you've never been up here and endured a week of like single digits for highs and, and negative you know five degrees for the low and it and it quickly turned i mean it was like yesterday was in the 30s and today it was 40 and just prior to that was like single digits so when it wow. when you walk out it's sunny and no wind and and 40 degrees it feels hot i mean yep. it's, it's a shock to your system almost it's now they're almost huh? now had it been september or august and all of a sudden it drops to 40 one day then you'd, you'd be in overcoats you know but but i was i was out yeah. in something like this today with no problem just a little pullover heck yeah and i just yeah, got a hair i just got a haircut too you know how cold that makes your head feel oh <laughs> i do all too well Wayne. <laughs> i really appreciate you coming on i'd love to have you back on to talk uh, a little bit about tracking and shot placement and stuff like that um and again i can't thank you enough for your time man uh my pleasure man it was fun rick you want to bring us home sing that song bro yeah bring us home <laughs> <laughs> guys uh this has been fueled by the outdoors you've been your hosts rick Cates and chris leppert joined by uh josh luck and our guest shane simpson thank you for joining us tonight bye see you <laughs>